Over the past several weeks here at Redemption Church, we've been going through this group of psalms that are collected from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 called the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, as we've said every week, these were more than likely songs that uh, pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem would sing as they were traveling up to Jerusalem, right? From whatever direction they were going to Jerusalem, they would be going uphill to Jerusalem. And as they're going to Jerusalem, uh, they would be singing these songs. As they ascended, they would worship and remind themselves of God's provision for them, God's grace for them, God's protection over them, their trust in God, God's deliverance for them, those sorts of things. And uh, we don't really know when this tradition started um, exactly, uh, but we do know that it happened. And, uh, and like I said, this morning we'll be looking at Psalm 125 specifically, but a minute ago I mentioned that it's Father's Day, and so let me just acknowledge that and say um, Happy Father's Day to you guys in the room that are fathers um, and who will one day be fathers as well. Uh, but that comes with us a certain reminder that as fathers we have been uniquely called by God um, to serve a role in our homes. And so let me encourage you um, to not just celebrate today, even though today is a time to celebrate if you're a father, but to be reminded of God's call on your life as a father and what that means. Uh, I also have to acknowledge as well that this week has been quite a contentious week in our nation. And um, at the end of Psalm 125, which we'll read in just a second, uh, the writer of this psalm, whomever it is, we don't know who wrote the psalm. It's not David, or at least it's not credited to, to David like about half the psalms are. But the writer of this psalm prays for peace over Israel. We'll read it in a minute and you'll see that. And so this morning, uh, I just want to acknowledge that uh, we as believers um, have lots and lots of African-American brothers and sisters across our nation this morning who uh, are not experiencing the realization of that peace, who are fearful that the systems and structures of man and our society that should exist to protect people and to bring justice uh, are not doing those things. And so as I pray this morning, I want to echo the call of Psalm 125 and the writer of Psalm 125 where he prays or she prays for peace over Israel. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Psalm 125 where you call us, which we'll see in a minute, to look to you, to place our trust in you, and to trust you alone. God, thank you for the reminder that you've given us in your word that you are our deliverer. And God, even now as I stand on this stage and start to proclaim your word from Psalm 125, I pray that you would use me as an instrument of your grace and mercy, an instrument of the gospel. God, I recognize that my words are of little importance, but God, your words are of utmost importance. So God, I pray that we would hear for you. At the same time, God, I pray that you would move mightily in our nation, across our world, that we would begin to experience your peace, true peace, peace that sets things as they should be, peace that makes things like they were intended to be from the beginning. God, we pray for your peace. We pray for Jesus. We pray... Um, that Jesus would be known across our nation and across our world, that we would be drawn to you, 
that people would be reconciled to one another and that we would be reconciled to God. And Holy Father, we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Psalm 125, like I said, it's a psalm of ascent. We don't really know who wrote this. It's not um, necessarily credited to David. There's some people who think that David wrote it. Uh, others do not. Uh, but this is what Psalm 125 says. And it'll be on the screen. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. As a quick summary to Psalm 125, the first two verses describe the secure position of those who trust in the Lord. We'll talk about that in a minute. Those who trust in the Lord, the secure position that they have, despite evil that may exist. Verse 3 describes the context for the writing of this psalm. We don't know the exact time period. We don't know the exact uh, things that are happening in the nation of Israel when the psalm was written. Uh, but Psalm 3 lets us know, or verse 3 of Psalm 125 lets us know that the context for the writing of this psalm, there are evil leaders in positions of power, in positions of high places in Israel. Now, they, they may be Israelites themselves. They may be somebody from the outside. If um, the psalm was written during um, an exile or a foreign occupation of Israel, we don't know. But we do know there are people who are evil in positions of power. Verses 4 and 5 are prayers looking forward to, for God to bring peace and vindication to his people, to those who trust in him. That's what Psalm 125 is about. In verses 1 and 2, right away, we're reminded of this imagery of mountains and hills. We see this imagery throughout the Psalms, really, but definitely through the Psalm of Ascents. Like I said, because we're talking about Israel, Israelites going up a mountain to, to get to Jerusalem. Um, years ago, when I was like um, 10, 11, 12 years old, I used to go to this place every summer, or for those three summers, uh, called Camp Greenville. Camp Greenville is a camp on the north side of Greenville, South Carolina, uh, below Brevard, North Carolina. And um, it's in the mountains, and it's just an incredibly beautiful place. Um, to this day, I still love that area of North Carolina, Brevard, North Carolina. Uh, I've said this before, it's one of my favorite places uh, in the world. And at Camp Greenville, there's this chapel called Pretty Place. And I, I gave our, yeah, there it is. Um, there's this chapel, if you look, if you can see the picture, there's this chapel that looks out over these mountains and hills. And when you walk out into this chapel, it is an incredibly gorgeous experience, right? You're looking out, it's just beautiful when you're standing in this chapel. And as a child, I can remember every Sunday when I was at Camp Greenville, they would take us to the chapel. We'd have to walk like a mile uphill to get to this chapel um, for a, a worship service on Sunday mornings. Now, that worship service was, we were really singing like Bob Dylan songs and things like that. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. So it wasn't really a worship service, but that's why we were there. Um, but I just remember how beautiful this place is. There's actually a verse quoted 
on the structure there from Psalm 121. And so just last year, some of you may remember uh, Preston and Kimberly, who were members of um, Redemption. Now the Sparks were married at Pretty Place Chapel, and I had um, the privilege to go and perform that wedding ceremony, which was awesome because I grew up going to Pretty Place, right? And it's just uh, lots of memories there. And a couple of months before I did this uh, wedding ceremony at Pretty Place Chapel, uh, my family and I were in North Carolina, and we went to this chapel. We drove out one day just to look at it. And as we were walking into the chapel, I noticed something that I never saw as a child. There was a plaque to the left of the main entryway going into the chapel that says, May a sense of the presence of God fill the soul of everyone who visits this sacred spot. And so the intent of the people who constructed this chapel and who made it however many years ago was that when you walked out and you looked at the beauty of the hills and the mountains surrounding the chapel, the intent was for you to look beyond the mountains to the creator of the mountains. The intent was to recognize that this spot is sacred because it's beautiful, and it's beautiful because it was created by God. And that's sort of what the psalmist is doing here throughout the Song of Ascents, the different writers, is that they're pointing travelers to look at the majesty of the mountains around Jerusalem. Now, they probably look drastically different. They do look drastically different than these mountains. But the writer is calling the travelers to look at the majesty of the mountains that Jerusalem sits on, the mountains around Jerusalem, and ultimately look past those things to see the God of the universe who put those mountains in place and who they're going to worship, right? That's the intent of this imagery over and over and over of hills and mountains. It's beautiful imagery of looking past what's there, though, to see the God of the universe. And as we dive into this psalm, it's really important for us to remember that this psalm and all the psalms um, collected in the book of songs, all the Song of Ascents, are ancient Near Eastern Hebrew poetry. It's not something that we're right out of the gate familiar with. These psalms that we're looking at, they're songs to, to God, they're songs about God, but they were written by man and at the same time inspired by God as they're collected as Scripture. So I want us to understand what's happening here in the proper genre before I dive into some specifics about Psalm 125. Um, the intent of a song of worship, the intent of something like the Psalm of Ascents and other songs that we see in the book of Psalms, the intent is not necessarily an expression of doctrine. If you want to see a biblical expression of doctrine, you look at the book of Romans, you look at the book of Galatians. Uh, those are uh, pretty, pretty just doctrinally heavy books. But the Psalms they're really powerful words spoken about God and to God. And they're rich in human emotion, whether that's joy or sorrow, gladness or angst, hope or despair, praise or curse. And they're not intended to be doctrine in as much as they're intended to carry the truths of God from our hearts to our minds. They're not intended necessarily for our minds first. It's intentionally emotive. It's colorful. There's lots of imagery. And by its very nature, it was addressed to the mind through the heart. Right? That's what a psalm 
is. And so if you look just at the first two verses of Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Um, when this psalm was, was written, that's probably referring to the hill that the temple was on. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. That's rich imagery. God's people are solid like a mountain if they trust in God. God surrounds his people like mountains surround Jerusalem for those who trust in God. And so the key to the correct understanding of Psalms is to look for the intent of the metaphor and imagery and not just at the imagery itself. And so as we look at Psalm 125, we have to remember, I want you to get the picture in your mind. Let's get this picture that the travelers are singing these songs as they're going up to Jerusalem. They're going up a mountain to get to Jerusalem, and they're singing a song about how God makes them solid like a mountain and how God surrounds them like a mountain. And all around they see mountains, and they're climbing mountains, and they see Jerusalem just a little lower than the mountains around them. And year after year, Mount Zion, the hill on which the temple sat, never moved. It's always there when they're traveling up to Jerusalem. And the mountains around Jerusalem, they're always there. Year after year after year, as these travelers go up to Jerusalem, and they sing this song about God surrounding them, the mountains that surround Jerusalem continue to surround Jerusalem. And the foundation for Mount Zion stays solid. And so these travelers, inasmuch as they can see the city where they're headed, are reminded that the temple, I mean, that the mountain that the temple sits on is solid. It has a foundation. The mountains around Jerusalem continue to surround Jerusalem. And so not only are they singing these truths that are intended for their hearts, they're seeing the mountain, they're seeing the mountains surround Jerusalem. And so the intent of this psalm is to call the people who are singing it as they travel up to Jerusalem to be reminded that God can be trusted because God makes them solid like a mountain and God surrounds them like a mountain. Can you imagine the emotion of travelers going up to Jerusalem singing about how God surrounds them and protects them as they see the mountains surrounding and protecting Jerusalem, right? Don't miss the imagery there, right? That's beautiful. It's amazing. And you know what? I'm just going to say this. I'm the most non-emotional, non-artistic person in the world. And uh, my wife, Zach, lots of other people, Ben will tell you, Brent, will tell you that that's true. But this is incredible because they're singing the very thing that they're seeing as they're going up to Jerusalem. And what it does is into their hearts it infuses this idea that God can be trusted. God is faithful. God will make them solid. God will surround them. And it's incredible. God can be trusted. Even in times of despair, God's goodness and care ought to be expressed. And this song is meant to help the traveler express trust in God, whatever the circumstances might be. Because like mountains that don't move and mountains that surround a city, God offers to those who trust in him stability and protection and sustainment. The psalm is not guaranteeing for the Christian a life of ease. We know from David who wrote half the psalms uh, that life isn't easy. Our lives are often filled with sin and struggle and disappointment. And yet in the midst of that, we can constantly express great trust and faith in our, in our Lord. 
And so the intent, I believe, of this psalm, of this imagery, is to call us to place our trust in God. That's what the psalmist is doing. Despite what's going on, trust in God because God is loyal and faithful and he will surround you and sustain you and give you uh, an unusual solidity in your life. That's what the psalm is about. It's calling us to trust God. That's the overall intent. Now, there are a couple of things that I want us to pick up from this psalm. And as much as that's the overall intent, I believe, of Psalm 125, there are a couple of things I want us to see. And so I'm just going to dive in and break a few things down for a minute. And uh, you guys hang with me as I do this. Um, Just a minute ago, I said that this psalm calls us to trust in the Lord. But I also want to make the distinction that this psalm is for those who already trust in the Lord. It's calling those who are already in the trust in the Lord to continue to do so. In verse 1, the psalmist says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Those who trust in the Lord. The word for Lord here is the uh, covenant name of God, right? We may know it um, in the modern context. Some people say Yahweh. Some people say Jehovah. If you transliterate it into English from Hebrew, it's Y-H-W-H with no vowels. Um, But the point of emphasis that the psalmist is making by using God's covenant name is that those who trust in the Lord are trusting in a known and a named God. The psalm is making the point that we are talking about a God who is known and named, right? Brent talked about this last week. The psalm of a sense calls us to continually look to that known and that named God. This is echoed in Hebrews chapter 2, which I'm not going to read. But when Paul tells us, um, when he's talking about being faithful to continually fix our eyes. Not Paul, I said Paul. We don't know who wrote Hebrews either. But the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, when the writer tells us to continually fix our eyes on God as we're running the race that's set before us. This call in Psalm 125 is for those who are going up to worship. It's for people who are already God's people. It's for the people who are already in a relationship with this known and named God. It doesn't mean that those who aren't in a relationship with God can't be called to trust him because of this psalm. But the point is this, there are lots of areas in my life where I don't trust Jesus. I'm sure that you can say the same thing. There are lots of areas where I don't submit my life to Jesus, where I think I know better, and I'm going to trust myself and my knowledge and my ways more than I'm going to trust Jesus, where I am not increasingly submitting every area of my life and faith and trust to Christ, where unlike what the psalmist says, when the psalmist says, look to the hills and really look past the hills, to see God, or unlike what the writer of Hebrews says, when the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, there are lots of times where I take my eyes and put them somewhere else. And so Psalm 125 calls me to fix my eyes on Christ. I'm reminded several years ago, um, this whole story is humorous, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but Ben, Richie, and I decided that we were going to go hiking in the Appalachian Mountains. Um, which neither one of us had done for quite some time before we decided to do this. And so one day, uh, one morning, we got up early. We were excited. We hit the trail. Uh, We had eight miles to go, and we hit the trail at like 7 o'clock in the morning, and uh, we were eight miles into the trail by noon. And so we got to the place where we were going, and we were like, 
what do we do now? Because we're not supposed to leave and go somewhere else until the next day. And so we have literally like the rest of this day to do nothing. Which, right, I should have just enjoyed the majesty of the mountains where we were. But I'm like, it's noon and I have nothing to do for the rest of the day. And so we said, okay, well, let's do this. Let's backtrack back down to this camping area that we saw about two miles back down the camp, up down the mountain. Let's backtrack to that area and we'll just camp there tonight. We'll just hang out there tonight. There's a spring there where we can get some more water. We just chill there for the rest of the day. Um, So we start heading back down the mountain to this campsite. Um, And uh, I was flying, right? I was just ready, whatever reason, to get to where we were going. So I, I left Ben in the dust I'm like, Ben, you got to get there on your own. I'm going on. And so I'm like a mile out ahead of Ben, just traveling as fast as I can down this mountain. And I'm walking along, and I have no idea what I'm paying attention to. In my mind, um, I knew that I should probably be looking at what's on the trail in front of me uh, because it's hot outside. We're in an area of the world where there's these things called copperheads that are pretty, um, they're everywhere. And so I'm going down the mountain. I'm not looking. I'm not paying attention. I'm just flying, trying to get to the campsite as fast as I can. And I start to take a step. I literally, I'm going as fast as I can. I start to take a step. And for something, somehow in my peripheral vision or something, I look down and there's a copperhead curled up on the trail, like about to strike. And so I I don't remember how I avoided it. I remember I like threw myself to the right of the trail to get away from the copperhead, and I ended up not getting bitten. Um, But the point is, there's something I should have been paying attention to that I wasn't. And it almost cost me very dearly. Uh, We would have been six miles from anywhere with no way out. Um, And one of my greatest fears in the world is being bitten by a poisonous snake. So I'm not sure that I could have even handled that, right? The point is, I wasn't looking where I should have been. I had diverted my eyes from where they needed to be, right? That's a perfect illustration of what we do in the Christian life. Psalm 125 calls people who trust in the Lord to continually look to the Lord. Psalm 125 calls those who have placed their faith in Christ to continually look to Christ because we don't. We divert our eyes all the time. And so the reminder here is to continually look to Christ. But inasmuch as this psalm is a call to trust the Lord, even when wickedness is encroaching, right? I told you that verse 3, well, let me just read it. Verse 3, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. The context of the psalm is that there is a challenge to the faith of believers in Israel. The challenge is that there is wickedness in high places. There are people in positions of power and leadership who are wicked. And we don't know, like I said, if it's um, um, foreign invaders who have come in and established leadership over Israel. We don't know if it's um, Israelites themselves, kings who are wicked, because there are several kings who are wicked Right, people on the outside, um, they don't have a market on wickedness. Um, and so sometimes even those who profess to be people of God can actually be instruments of wickedness in high places. And so we don't really know the exact context, but we know that somebody in a high place is wicked, evil. So whatever the psalm may be referring to exactly, we know that there's a challenge to God's people. 
And verse 3 says, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. The idea here, here is that there can be a corrupting influence from those who rule, from those who are in a position of power, those who guide the culture, and that corrupting influence can have an eroding, corroding influence on the hearts, on the behavior of those who profess to follow the Lord. That's not a unique problem in Israel. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24, which we preached through just uh, a couple of um, weeks ago. And it's something we need to be uniquely aware of in our culture and in the times that we reside. Those in positions of power who are wicked, who are not followers of Christ, if we allow them to do so might have an eroding influence on the hearts, on the behavior, on the minds of those who profess to follow the Lord. That's the context. But the reason that we can trust the Lord, the reason that we can trust God, the reason that we can trust Christ, even when wickedness is approaching, is because of the promise of a king and a kingdom that lasts forever. Right? Don't miss this. All of Scripture points to Jesus. Jesus himself tells us that. All of Scripture points to Jesus. And over and over, these psalms use language that refer to Mount Zion and to Jerusalem. And you constantly see this Jerusalem language. And I've already talked about how the travelers, as they're going up to Jerusalem, they're going up to where the temple sits. And as they're going up and they see the temple, the temple is a visual representation of God's presence with his people. But the hope of these travelers, the hope of God's people, is not in a city, right? It's not in a temple. It's not in a location. It's really in a deliverer. A deliverer. Deliverer. It's really in a deliverer. And that's what Psalm 125 points us to. God's promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is about a city and a place where there will be peace forever Uh, a dwelling place of peace where there will be no disturbance and no violence but you don't get a jerusalem with peace without jesus you don't get a dwelling place forever without jesus and so in psalm 125 as the travelers are going up their hope is not just in a place Their hope is in someone that will deliver. And that's what Psalms 125 is getting at. Mount Zion, the hill of the temple, cannot be shaken because years from then, another hill outside of Jerusalem was going to be shaken, right? It's a hill called Golgotha where Jesus died. Jesus Christ died on that hill, bearing the wrath that you and I deserve. He suffered in our place, making atonement for our sins. And the only reason the Lord can surround his people and offer us protection is because of a deliverer named Jesus. King Jesus that would rise and who will rule forever. The Jesus who conquered our sin in his death. The Jesus who conquered death in his resurrection. And it's because of that that you and I can live under the Lord's invincible protection, the protection that's offered in Psalm 125. The tomb is empty, Jesus reigns, and we cannot be moved by the evil of this world because of Jesus. 
Because the kingdom that lasts, the kingdom promised to David, the kingdom that the travelers were hoping for was fulfilled in Jesus. I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to clue you into something about me. Um, I've got one bullet to shoot when it comes to preaching, and that bullet is Jesus. So it doesn't matter where we start, we're going to end up at Jesus, okay? It's always going to be that way whenever I'm preaching. Um, But let's be honest with one another here. Our hearts are desperately fickle and wicked. Our hearts are easily swayed. This side of heaven, there's a war for our hearts every day, a war between faith and doubt, a war between courage and fear, between disappointment and hope, a war between temptation and righteousness, a war between trusting God and looking to Him or taking our eyes and looking elsewhere. The Psalms of Ascent call us to look to God and to live an unusual, a life of unusual stability. But the only way that happens is through Jesus. The Psalm of Ascent calls us to live a lifestyle of unusual stability. But that happens because of Jesus. So I have to ask you the question, is your life firm and anchored in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you blown about by the winds of circumstances Blown around by the difficulties of relationships. Blown around by the harsh realities of life in a foreign world. Blown around by disappointment. Blown around by temptation. Are you allowing the evil of our society and culture to encroach on your heart? We live in a world that will not be faithful to you. We live in a world that cannot be trusted. A world that will attempt to encroach on and change your heart. Our world is fallen and wrecked by sin. Your dearest best friend will fail you at some point. Your spouse will fail you. Institutions of man will fail you. Your dreams will die. But there's one person who will never, ever, ever fail us. And that's Jesus. He's faithful to everything he promised And that empty tomb on another hill right outside of Jerusalem called where Jesus was buried, that empty tomb is evidence of his faithfulness. That empty tomb brings fulfillment to the promise of Psalm 125 that our God will anchor us like a mountain and surround us forever. As you read Psalm 125, the circumstances for the people of Israel is that evil is encroaching. But Psalm 125 calls us to look to the mountains and pass them to see Jesus, the Deliverer. As we look to Jesus, as we look to the one who will deliver us, as we trust in him, we have the promise of a king that stabilizes his people, that surrounds his people, and that will forever sustain his people. That's the promise of one, Psalm 125, and it's fulfilled in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Psalm 125 is calling us to look beyond what we can see right in front of us and look to Jesus. It's using the imagery of the mountains to say, look beyond that, to look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Don't focus on the immediate circumstances. Look to the Lord. Don't focus on what you think you know. Look to the Lord. I'm reminded of 2 Kings chapter 6 Um, There's a story you can check out. The prophet Elisha is in this city and he has some people with him and 
the uh, armies of the king of Syria have surrounded this city. And they wake up and they go outside and one of the guys with the prophet Elisha is pretty worried about what's going to happen. And he goes, what are we going to do because the armies are surrounding us? And Elisha says this in verse 16 and 17 of 2 Kings 6, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God surrounds his people. God protects his people, even when we don't understand it. And the call of Psalm 125 that's fulfilled in Jesus is to look to Christ, to look to Jesus, to find that stability, to find that surrounding, to find that protection. Ultimately, Psalm 125 ends with the writer praying for the vindication of God's people and for the peace of Israel. It says this in verse 4 and 5, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. The psalmist is looking forward to the time when God will reward his people, when God will purge the unfaithful, and when God will bring peace. That word peace means more than just an absence of conflict. It means a state of wholeness where everything is acting and behaving and living as it should be, as it was intended to be. Everything is working like it was intended to work. Everything is uh, the way it was created to be. And so the writer of this psalm, a psalm in which the people of God are called to trust God, even as evil is encroaching on them, are reminded of God's protection and provision. And as they're reminded of that, the writer prays that everything in Israel would be as it was created to be. But you don't get that peace. You don't get everything to be the way it was intended to be without Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The writer of Psalm 125 is praying for peace upon Israel. And the writer, whomever it is, is ultimately praying for the one who will deliver Israel. He or she, whoever the writer is, may not even know that's what they were praying for. But that's what they're praying for, the deliverer. Praying that God will deliver his people, that God will come and make things right, that God will come and bring peace and vindicate those who trust in the Lord. And even though the writer may not have fully understood the implications of what it meant for Jesus to die on a cross to be the deliverer. That's what the psalmist is praying for. That's the fulfillment of what the psalmist is praying for. You and I, we have the good fortune of knowing who that deliverer is. And we have the ability to trust him right now because we know 
like Isaiah did, that our deliverer brings peace. Brings peace. Ultimately, the peace that the writer of Psalm is talking about is a day when everything will be as it should be. Ultimately, that's what we're talking about. But that doesn't mean that right now, as we trust in Christ, as we place our focus on Christ, as we look to Christ, that there can't be peace in our lives already. That doesn't mean that we can't already, through the power of Christ, through the Holy Spirit working in us, bring peace to areas where there needs to be peace. There's all areas of our life where things are not as they should be. Right? Our finances, our free time, where we spend our free time and our free money, our, our, our family, uh, where we're going to live and our marriages and our sexuality and all these things, there are places sometimes where there's not peace. But through Jesus, Jesus can make those things as they were intended to be. To be. You want peace? You don't get peace without Jesus. You want stability and surrounding and sustainment like Psalm 125 promises? You get that with Jesus. You're not going to get it anywhere else. And ultimately, Psalm 125 is talking about the ultimate fulfillment of that. But even now, it's with Jesus. Over and over and over in the past few months, in the past few years in the life of this church, I have seen people who are supposed to be the people of God fail to trust God in every area of their life. I, I'm actually amazed and so I have to ask you, as you sit here this morning and you hear God's word where he promises peace, where he's praying for peace, where the psalmist is praying for peace, where the psalmist is offering um, stability and sustainment and surrounding by God, I have to ask you, where are you failing to trust Christ? What areas of your life are you failing to trust Christ, what areas of your life are you failing to submit to the empowering presence of Christ? In those areas of your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you already trust the Lord, if you are, like, like the psalmist says, those who trust in the Lord, if you're already one of God's children, what areas of your life are you failing to trust Christ with? And let me assure you that in those areas where you're failing to trust Christ, you are going to continue to experience conflict and issues. And so the call for us this morning is to repent and believe, right? It's to repent of that lack of trust. It's to repent of that lack of, of trusting Christ and instead trusting something else. The call for us is to repent and to believe. To repent and to believe. Where there's disobedience, where there's a lack of trust, there will continue to be conflict. There will continue to be issues. You will continue to have problems. But with Christ, the beauty of what the psalmist is telling us is that we can have peace. And Christ can begin to put things back together to the way they're supposed to be in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. I uh, teach my kids this all the time. It's not unique to me. I heard it years and years ago. Uh, my kids know this. Uh, hopefully they know this because I talk about it. But um, we say, obedience brings blessing 
And disobedience brings conflict. And when I say obedience brings blessing, I, I'm not, don't hear health and wealth, right? That's, that's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is that obedience brings blessing in the sense that when we obey, when we trust, when we repent and believe, we begin to experience this peace that Christ offers. When we disobey, we experience conflict. When we don't trust, we experience conflict. And things are not like they could be. And so the call on our life this morning is to repent of a lack of trust and to believe. The call on our life this morning is if you don't know Jesus, to begin to trust Jesus, to become someone who places their trust in the Lord. If you have placed your trust in the Lord, the call is to repent of those areas where you're failing to trust and to fix your eyes back on Christ like the psalmist would have us do. We're going to move into a time of response, and it's a time where you have an opportunity uh, to repent and believe if that's what Christ is calling you to. It's an opportunity for you to sit right where you are and reflect and pray and meet Christ wherever it might be in the areas of your life that you might need to deal with even now. We also, during this time of response, have an opportunity to continue to worship through singing. The band's going to come back up. They're going to lead us through some more songs. We have an opportunity to worship that way. You have an opportunity to worship by giving. There's a giving basket in the back where um, you can place your tithes and offerings and worship through trusting Christ in the area of your finances. Um, and we also have an opportunity uh, to continue to worship now by taking communion. We take communion every Sunday at Redemption Church. And the reason we do that is that when we take communion, it's a visible expression, an opportunity for us to visibly say um, that we believe that the gospel is true, that Christ died for us, that he shed his blood for us, that his body was broken for us. And as we come and take communion, as we come and take the bread and dip it in the wine or juice, we're reminded of the fact that we remember what Christ has done for us and we proclaim to one another that we believe it. So if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, whether you're a member of redemption or not, I invite you to come and take communion. Uh, and so remember what Christ has done and proclaim to one another that we believe it. If you can't remember and proclaim, then I would encourage you to sit where you are. Um, not, not that we want to call you out, um, but I don't want to ask you to do something that you can't do. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll continue on in our um, worship service from there. But let's pray. God, thank you for the reminder from your word this morning um, that in you, as we place our trust in you, there is protection, there is uh, surrounding, that you ground us. God, thank you for Jesus who ultimately can bring that to bear in our lives. And so, God, I pray even now as we enter a time of response, even now as we uh, respond in a variety of ways, that you would work in our hearts and minds, uh, that you would call us to trust you more. Where there needs to be repentance, God, I pray that you would bring repentance. Where there needs to be belief and trust, I pray that you would bring belief and trust in our life. Um, God, I pray that you would be at work even now in our hearts and minds, drawing us to you. God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.